Hello, church family. This is chapter 7 of Esther. And uh, before I start uh, going through this chapter, uh, I'd like to start by just explaining, kind of talk about how plans in life that backfires, particularly if you, we go through this chapter, we'll see why, um, why that is. Uh, plans, particularly those that are plots against people or evil plans, that backfire, they're oftentimes very uh, scary what happens to one who plans uh, these type of things, but it's humorous to those that are observing. Uh, it's funny to those watching those that are trying to plan evil and it all of a sudden just goes horribly wrong for themselves, but it's worse for those that the plan is backfired against. Uh, I think some of you were familiar with the actor Jesse Smollett. He was a this famous actor in a TV show, and uh, he wanted to, people said, like, he wanted to try to, like, uh, negotiate his contract as his, uh, I guess his TV show contract was running up. And he uh, staged an attack, and when it first happened, uh, people were outraged about the racism in the country because they, the story goes that he was beat up by these two guys wearing these MAGA hats, and they put a rope around his neck and, and doused bleach all over him. And they were calling him racial slurs and uh, homophobic slurs and all these all these different things. And uh, it turned out that it wasn't the case. In fact, for weeks and uh, for weeks he was like uh, you know, playing up the story, and there was all these people trying to gather around him and show sympathy and support. Uh, but then it was later discovered that these two guys that beat him up weren't white dudes wearing mega hats. These were these Nigerian guys. Um, and they actually was able to, uh, they, when they were caught, they presented to the courts, like, the check that this actor wrote to them. And they confessed, like, oh, this is all a hoax, this is all planned, and, like, it was pretty much case closed. And pretty much after that whole thing blew up uh, in, his own, in his face, and it was just funny to watch because he's still denying that all of the things that happened um was true. He said that all these things were actually happened, even though the evidence was against him. Uh, he attempted to cause a nation to to side with him, but in the end, he got fired from his job. Uh, he was charged for uh, causing, making uh, false claims by the police, and then he even made. Um, I mean, his show was I think canceled, and everything just didn't go well for him. Uh, in fact, even the people that were on his side, the liberal side, uh, where it was bashing on him. Uh, pretty much he was exiled in the, in the, in the I guess, the celebrity circle because of this whole entire situation. And you know, this whole thing reminded me of, like, you know, the cartoon, The Wild Coyote, when he chases the roadrunner. He's always buying these, like, Acme uh, dynamites and all these different things in each of these episodes. He's always failing it up. They, all his plans end up not working, and he ends up falling into his own trap. And that's exactly what happens here in Esther chapter 7. We see the plot that was planned by Haman all the way back in chapter 3. Uh, he was upset by the fact that Mordecai, this one Jew, refused to fall and bow down to him, and he gets upset to the point where he decides to go and want to exterminate all of the Jews. 
uh, he asks the king for this approval, and he kind of disguises it by saying there's a certain group of people that did not want to um, live according to the rules that are causing problems, and what are we going to do with them? And let me exterminate for them. And not only that, when uh, I'll pay you money back because I'm going to take money from all the Jews and then give it to you. And the king wrote this edict and said, go and do, do it. In chapter 4, Mordecai is horrified, realizing he potentially put all his people at risk. He tells Esther to basically fulfill your role if it's, your, if, it's, if it's you. If you're the one that's supposed to save us, you need to start doing something. You need to act. In chapter 5, we see that happening. He, Esther decides to call in a banquet. She calls a banquet with the king, and the king asks, what's going on? How can uh, I give you everything up to half the kingdom? And uh, she decides to change her plan and say, I want another meal with both the king and Mordecai. And then chapter 5, uh, Haman gets upset, or, or the middle of chapter 5, Haman gets upset uh, still because of the, uh, Mordecai was not uh, paying homage to him. And he, had, he recounted all of the things that he had in life. The one thing that just ruins everything for him is the fact that Mordecai did not honor him. Uh, he was puffed up with all his success in life. And you can't imagine why this one particular person did not want to honor him. Chapter six, uh, the king in this, uh, that, that, I guess that evening, um, the king uh, read through the history books and found out that Mordecai was actually the one that saved him at one point. And he asked, who, well, what should we do with him? Did we do anything for him? And they found, he found out nothing was done for him. And he asked Mordecai, hey, what am I, what do I do? He asked Haman, what should I do to a guy that deserves such high honor and praise, and Haman gives him all of these ideas, like he should wear this coat that, that the king wore, to ride the horse that the king wore, wear this crown, and get paraded over town, and basically uh, be demonstrated as this honorable uh, citizen of, uh, of, the, of Susa. And, uh, Mordecai, uh, and the king said, okay, you should do all of that to Mordecai, and Haman was the one that's going around parading uh, basically his arch nemesis throughout the city and praising him. At the end of chapter 6, he has this talk with his wife and his friends, and they gave him something that he never considered, that the fact that Mordecai was protected, and it was something that he cannot stop. And if he attempt, because he attempted to uh, make a plot against them, he will fall before them all, or before uh, Mordecai. So this is where uh, we begin in chapter 7. Chapter 7 happens immediately after... Chapter 6, I'll just start by reading the end of chapter 6. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuch arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Chapter 7. Now the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther the queen. Now I'm trying to imagine Haman after this discussion. He might be nervous, but then maybe the meal and the wine calmed him down a little bit. Verse 2. And the king said to Esther on the second day also, as they drink after their wine at the banquet, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. I personally have always wondered why no one decides to take half the kingdom. There's always something else they want to do, like John the Baptist's head, or or um, in this case, a banquet. I'm just curious. If someone offered you, or even I, I don't know, if someone offered me that, I would like to see what if what owning half a kingdom is like. But anyways, I digress. Chapter 7, verse 3. Then the Queen Esther replied, 
If I found favor in your sight, O king, and it pleases the king, let my life be given me as a petition and my people as my request. And uh, what is interesting is that uh, when we go through her petition, you begin to see it sounds exactly, or it sounds really similar to the edict that was written in um, chapter 3. Now, continue on with chapter 4. Uh, chapter 7, verse 4. For we have been sold, and I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, if we had only been sold as slave men and women, I would have remained silent, for the trouble would not uh, consumerate with annoyance to the king. Now, as she's describing what's going on, you have to wonder if Haman and the king, or certainly Haman's probably wondering, oh my goodness, this sounds too familiar right this is this sounds exactly like what what he wanted to do when he said that he wanted to annihilate all jews and um chapter 3 verse 13 let, let uh, letters were sent out by court couriers to all the king's province to destroy to kill and to annihilate all of the jews these are the same type of words that was used um the uh they were same like idea uh in verse 4 i am i and my people to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. So she uses the exact same uh, uh, verbiage intentionally, and you must wonder, like, okay, this the king is probably worried, like maybe there was some other edict, or Haman's probably worried, oh, there might be another edict out there. Maybe it's not the one that we planned. And then the king, verse 5, Then the king Adjurus asked Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he, who would presume to do thus? Esther said, a foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman became afraid before the king and queen. Um, again, this is the one thing that uh, we don't really see in the text right now, but one of the things that you should know is actually with that question, who is it? The queen only chooses to single out Haman and not the king because the king technically was part of this plan as well. He was the one who wrote this into law. I remember at the end of chapter 3, Haman and the king were drinking on top of the palace while everyone was confused. You know, They thought that this was a good idea together, which I think this is why in the next verse the king responded this way. The king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the uh, palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. So this king uh, when he heard, okay, it was, this is the man that plotted against me, he probably was so furious because now he realized something, that his wife is Jewish. Remember, how he met his wife was through this beauty contest. There wasn't any, like, DNA testing or anything like that. And Mordecai told Esther, don't tell the king that you're Jewish. And I don't even think the king even cared about that. He just cared about who looked good, who presented themselves well. And that's what happened to Esther. Um, and for some reason... Uh, throughout this entire marriage, the king never asked about her origin. Or if he did, he probably forgot about it. But he's upset because he realized that he made a plan and if uh, against the king, against his own queen. And this isn't like earlier in chapter, in the beginning of the book, where the queen did something wrong. He asked for advice. He did this to himself. He dug his own grave. So he's probably thinking, okay, how can I get out of this? Because you also remember, during this cultural setting, uh, whenever an edict is made, they're not allowed to break it. So he's probably, probably thinking, 
all of the political ramifications if people found out that he plotted against his own queen, especially if she didn't do anything, you know, especially if she was innocent. So he's thinking, okay, what can I do? How do I get out of this? Meanwhile, as this is happening, Haman is begging for his life from the queen. Um, now, uh, verse 8, now when the king returned from the palace garden into the place where they were drinking, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. So back then when people ate, it wasn't like what we think of the chairs. And even you know, the New Testament times, around like Jesus' time, they were when they ate, they would kind of lay down uh, next to each other, kind of like like. I guess we would eat like eat on the floor and just a little uh, table. That's how they would eat. So you can imagine Haman is like near her leg, kind of like as like close as he can. Uh, and on, from a distance, it seems like I mean I mean I think the guards knew what was going on. That's why the guards didn't do anything. Um, but then Haman, but then the king came in and he saw this and he thinks to himself, "This is it. Here's my chance. Here's my escape. I don't have to. I can keep my reputation." keep the edict and still destroy Haman. I can still honor the queen in this way. So this is what he says in the middle of verse 8. Then the king said, will he even assault the queen with me in the house? And as the word went out of, house, went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. So uh, the king was able to find a way where he can get out of this, uh, where he can kill Haman without getting, uh, at least in, in, the, in the surface and publicly, it's, it would seem like, okay, Haman uh, attacked the queen and therefore uh, the king killed him. Um, and that's why uh, he's gone. Because it would look really weird politically. Like, why wasn't this guy um, just honoring Mordecai the day before? And wasn't this guy uh, not that long ago made an edict and collaborated with him to kill all the Jews? Why is it all of a sudden he wanted to kill why, why the conflict? But the, but the king has now a, uh, like a legitimate reason, or a quote-unquote legitimate reason, in that uh, he tried to attack the queen, or try to assault the queen. Verse 9, Then Harbonai, one of the eunuchs, who were before the king, said, Behold, indeed the gallows standing at Haman's house, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. The king said, Hang him there. So now this confirms what uh Queen Esther was saying uh, that, hey, there's this thing that he wanted to do to Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew, too. And he, what he wanted to do to Mordecai, uh, he, there's, here, here's the evidence that there's this giant uh, gallows that he was made. And it gave uh, the king reason to just hang him on it. Okay, this is the guy that, have, uh, that assaulted my wife. But not only that, but he tried to kill the man that, uh, that, that saved me uh, not, uh, several years back. This is the same guy, and that's why the king tells him to to hang Haman there. You have to remember, uh, hanging back then is not like you know when we think of hanging a gallows. It's like hanging with a rope by the neck. These are long spikes that they or that they will make, and they'll push someone off into it, and they'll fall into it. Uh, so they hang Haman on the gallows, which he prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Uh, just, it is, it is very interesting how the, the fate of Haman turned so drastically. Um, you recall actually in verse 8 where it says Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Um, this same word actually appears, uh, at the end of verse 13 of chapter 6 when, 
uh, Haman's wife and his friends that the, you will surely fall before him. And this word fall, again, shows up throughout this book. Another instance was when Mordecai did not choose to fall and honor him. And there's, again, a twist in that all the times that, he, that people, uh, that Mordecai did not fall, he is now falling before the queen and pleading for his life. And at this point, uh, he falls to his doom by being thrown onto these gallows at the end. So this is how God and his sovereign hand saves the Jews. Uh, from at least from Haman, the, 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 it's not done yet because there's still an edict out there to exterminate all the Jews in years from now, and we'll see uh, the following week how that gets resolved. But for now, the one who's established this, the one who plotted this against uh, the Jews, against God's people, is destroyed. So what do we make of this? Um, well, I'm going to talk this week about just lessons learned from a failed Haman. Um, and I hope that as you look at these things, that you don't apply the life, the, the type of uh, attitude and thought process that Haman, Haman had in his life. Uh, I can give you the outline now. Uh, first is that success and riches can, can be gone in a moment. Success and riches can be gone in a moment. And then we'll also see how wicked people's success will always end in ruined. Uh, third point, don't plan evil against others. And lastly, God is always there for his people, even when we don't see him. So throughout this week, we're going to go through all four of those points, and we're going to look back at this book as well as this chapter, um, and how uh, we, don't want to, we don't want to be like Haman, uh, because the Bible is really clear that if you try to plan evil, that it will, be, that it will turn on you, uh, that the godly Christian is someone who uh, doesn't strive to plot evil against others. Uh, that we're called to live godly lives. So that's what we're, what we're going to look at this week. Again, um, if you have any questions, feel free to send it in. Uh, I like doing the Q&As with, uh, this is really myself, but I like doing these Q&As uh, that I did last week and every, or almost every Friday. But it's fun for me to uh, just shepherd you this way. Uh, but look, I look forward to going through this chapter and going through all the lessons as well. We're almost at the end, and uh, it's, it's really fun, again, to and encouraging to me and convicting at times as I go through this book and try to draw lessons for all of us to learn. Okay, have a blessed day. Bye.